We know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. Well, gosh, it's good to be with you this morning. Good to see you. As Bill said, my name is John. I'm the discipleship pastor. And a proper greeting to you, a hello. And for those of you who are tuning in at home, I'm grateful that you've chosen to take some time to be with us this morning. So the words that come from my heart, I hope that they translate through the digital world into your home and into your soul and to know that, hey, we're glad that you're with us this morning. So we're in this series called The In-Between. And Quincy, who I refer to as the spiritual architect, created this series about three months ago. And he brought the idea to me and we began to work through the creative portion of what this journey would look like and what it would mean. We both concluded that as we were creating this together that it would end in the closet. And then Quincy said, you're gonna handle the closet. And I said, absolutely, we gotta go, we gotta go into the closet to figure out what's really going on inside the world of humanity and inside of our own minds and our thinking. So I agreed. And I thought about the closet and I thought about this one room in the house where we tend to shove things in and we don't want to look at, things in the back corner, things in ways in which we're hiding. And I thought, you know, this is really the judgment center. It's the mind center of the entire being. And all of us in this room have an inner judge. And that inner judge is pretty dang loud. Some of you, like you call it mind chatter. You just have a lot of stuff going on in your brain telling you certain things and sending you certain messages. And that inner judge sometimes spills out of you and then it spills out onto other people and we find ourselves judging people. And that inner judge, we've gotta get, get that thing to quiet down. So we're gonna step into the mind, we're gonna step into the closet and that my hope would be is that we would literally come out of the closet today and into an expansive space. I wanna show you a picture. Um, this is a picture that I look at uh, almost on a daily basis in the morning because I want to remember who I am. This little guy that's being held up is me. And I have that, uh, that Lego haircut, you know, the snap-on kind, just pops on your head. And that's my dad holding me up. I call that my Simba moment. And when I look at that little boy, there is nobody in the world that can convince me that I'm not magnificent. I'm magnificent. I'm created in the image of God. My dad is holding me up. I'm young enough to where all the clutter and the chatter hasn't made its way into my inner life quite yet. All I know is that I'm magnificent. And to this point today, I know that I am a magnificent being. And the reason why I know that is because all of you in this room are magnificent. <clears throat> You're beautiful. And what happens along the way is that we tend to forget our magnificence. We, we forget our inner beauty. And somewhere along the way, we begin to pick up other narratives that we're not that child anymore. But that child still lives and is a part of us. That beauty still exists inside of us. 
And what happens along the way is we pick up again the narratives that tell us we're not enough, that remind us that we're insignificant, that we're not interesting, that we're small. And there's things that we have to do to make ourselves feel significant and feel seen in the world. And so I wanna situate this morning's discussion in the Genesis narrative, because I think the Genesis narrative helps us understand what's going on in the human mind, body, and spirit. And it gives us a really clear picture and vision to help us understand why we are the way that we are. And as I was looking at the Genesis narrative in light of the in-between, and I was spending some time in Genesis 1, I categorized Genesis 1 as this type of narrative. I called it the expansive narrative. Because as God begins to create and expand and push out the boundaries and create beauty in the chaos, there's this expansive nature of God. So perfect love creating expansiveness and then creating humanity out of that expansiveness, which tells me that we as humans are, are supposed to be continuing to expand, evolve, grow in our understanding of who God is, who we are, and who the world is around us. Then we get to Genesis 2, and I refer to Genesis 2 as the abundance narrative, that there's always enough. And we see God coming down to humanity and says, I want you to name the animals. So God gives responsibility to humanity. You name the animals, and whatever you name the animals will be their name from here on out. I mean, that's a massive responsibility that God gives to humanity. And so when I look at that abundance narrative, I see that we are creators. We're co-creators with God. And there's beauty in that. You can feel the goodness in all of that language in Genesis 1 and 2 of love and connection. And this is what we came from. And then we get to Genesis 3. And in light of this discussion about the in-between, I refer to Genesis 3 as the shrinking narrative. And the shrinking narrative means that we have to make ourselves into something else in order to be accepted in society. We shrink we make ourselves small, seemingly insignificant, that we're not interesting enough. And so we tend to shrink and we lose bits and pieces of ourselves. And what we see in Genesis 3 is the beginning of a lack and separation mentality that has found its way into the human story. So we began in love and connection in abundance and expansiveness. And now we find ourselves in lack and separation and limit. And so often that becomes the dictation of our entire story and our being, living in this limit mentality. And we want to get to the root of some of that stuff and understand why we are the way that we are and that how we can step into deeper healing and freedom. And to understand where some of these inner narratives come from, the fact that we feel like we're not good enough just because we exist, but that we have to do something in order to prove to everyone around us that we are good enough. Where does that come from? And that's why we're going into the closet. So I would advise you, put your seatbelts on, get comfortable. Here we go. So Genesis chapter 3, humanity bites into a lie that God can't be trusted, that God's not good enough. Humanity bites into this lie. And what happens is, is that humanity begins to experience a psychological breakdown. And then we read in Genesis 3, Verse seven, it says that the eyes of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Now, as I sit with that narrative and as I sit with humanity, 
and listen to people, there are three very common beliefs that seem to come up over and over and over again in the human story. And maybe you can identify, but these three common beliefs that I hear among humanity are, I'm not good enough, one, I'm different so I can't connect, and then number three, what I want is not available. Let me ask you a question. Where did I'm not good enough come from? Where did you pick up that belief? Who told you that? Who gave you that story? Secondly, who told you you were different so you can't connect? Again, that's lack and separation mentality that keeps us from that abundance, that keeps us from that expansiveness in our own humanity. And then thirdly, what I want is not available. Again, that's lack and scarcity mindset, mindset that was rooted in abundance now moves to a scarcity mindset. And what we need as human beings is perfect love. That's what we were made from. We were created out of perfect love and our hope and desire is to get back to that perfect love, back to our magnificence because that is who we are. But along the way, we forgot and we lose bits and pieces of ourselves. And the moment that humanity decided to disconnect itself from the source, from God, they began to experience a mental breakdown, psychological, all the things that happen inside the human body. And what I love about the nature of God is as soon as humanity decided to go out on their own, God's like, I can't have that. I can't have separation with humanity. So immediately God comes down into the wreckage and he moves right into the human story and he goes looking for humanity. And it's like God comes up to the closet door and he asks humanity three very important questions. And these three questions are questions that all of us are invited to wrestle with, to work through. And God asks these three questions of humanity. They're very important. The first one is, where are you? Where are you? Second, why are you hiding? Well, I'm naked, so I gotta hide in the closet. All right, who told you you were naked? Three very important questions. Let's move through them together. First of all, where are you? Where are you? Verse seven, when it says that the eyes of humanity were open, reveals that we can now no longer look into the eyes of perfect love. Our eyes have been opened and now these eyes that are gazing back at us, God's eyes come looking for us and we have the need and the propensity to hide from those perfect eyes because we can't stand to even look at them. Hebrews 4:13 plays off of this idea and it explains why we humans feel the need to hide. And it says, before him, no creature is hidden but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. You think about that. Humanity has this deep conscious awareness that there are these two perfect eyes out there, these universal eyes of love that are always looking, that see everything, almost like a mother's eyes, right? Moms have a way of seeing everything. Well, these two universal eyes are always out there searching looking for humanity and they see through everything and we literally cannot hide from them, but we are desperately trying to do everything we can to get away from them. I think that's partly why people are so crazy because we know those eyes are out there 
and they're looking and they're perfect and they're loving and they see us and they want us to see the way that they see us. But we're disconnected from those eyes and we're running away and we're hiding in the closet because we believe we're not enough. And so we move away from that goodness. As I've sat with people over the years, I've invited people into certain practices just to try to get to the root of what's going on in humanity. And there's a practice that I refer to as the perfect love practice. And I invite people to look at themselves in the mirror and to look deep into their own eyes and to utter the words, I love you. Now, some of you in the room are already judging that practice. But I invite you to consider it. And when you look into your own eyes and you utter those words, I love you. What does that bring up in you? I've had people who literally can't say those words. And because there's so much hurt and there's so much rejection and there's so much hiding going on, to even consider that I'm lovable is too painful. But to invite people into that space of, yeah, God loves me and I'm okay with that. And there are other people who love me, but do I love me? And can I look at myself knowing everything that I know about myself and that my propensity to hide may keep me from fully stepping into the practice of love. So where are you? Where did you go? I know you're here in the room right now, but where are you? And the second question that comes up is why are you hiding? Well, I'm hiding in the closet. Why though? Why do you feel the need to hide because according to Genesis 1, our birthright is to be known and loved and naked and open and connected and abundant and expansive. And we all know it. We all know that we were created for that greatness. But as soon as the eyes of humanity were open, they became aware of their nakedness and they lost their innocence. And now, we're advising that we cover ourselves and we're creating elaborate outfits and we're moving through society, hiding and concealing. And we're convinced that we have to hide pieces of ourselves from God, which is impossible. Hiding from other people, which we do a pretty good job at. And even hiding from ourselves. And then we kick into this blame game that we see in Genesis 3, when God comes to humanity and asks, what happened? And what does Adam do? Well, the woman made me eat it. The woman, he blames her. There's this blame shifting going on. It's the oldest game in the book. And so where did that come from, that need to hide from each other, but also to blame one another? Where did this need to hide develop? Well, let's think about it. As children, we, click, we quickly learned that in order for us to stay connected to our parents or authority figures or to fit into society, we had to be good at something, right? So children have to be good at something. Good athlete, good student, good obedient child. You have to be good. And you felt that pressure as a child. And we do this because we need to feel attention, affirmation, and affection from loving figures that are overseeing our lives. We need this from our parents. So this is how we keep people happy with us. If we're good at something or we can prove that we matter. And so we develop this as children. And as children grow and you hear parents talking about children, you will overhear parents talking about their children when they're talking to other sophisticated adults about how good your children are at certain things, right? 
My child is good at this. They've got 15 extracurricular activities after school and they're just killing it in every one of those things. And there's all this pressure that these kids are feeling to excel and be good. Then these little humans come into junior high, which junior high, what a mess, right? Junior high, all of you are feeling anxious right now. And we step into junior high and then we get into high school and the chatter that moves through the halls of junior high and high school is, what are you good at? Are you a good student? Are you a good athlete? Are you funny? Are you intelligent? What kind of grades do you get? All of these expectations. And underneath all of that, what are you good at, is an underlying thought that where do you fit? Because then I know how to categorize you as a human being. So where do you fit? And will you help me get ahead in life if I associate myself with you? And then we become sophisticated adults. And sophisticated adults, guess what? We're just like this insecure bag of bones walking around in these meat suits. And we're trying to figure out who the heck we are. And we get into these party situations and we show up in these elaborate outfits and people walk up to us at these parties. And what is the first thing that people generally ask? What do you do? And what's underneath what do you do? Where do you fit? How do I categorize you? And again, it just carries on and on and on. And so we as adults have learned how to create elaborate outfits and coverings because we can't let people see who we really are. We can't let people see how anxious we are, how unhappy we are with our lives, how weak we are, how incompetent we are. We can't let people see how we feel. And at any moment, someone's going to realize that I'm not capable of doing my job and they're gonna realize I'm an imposter. And we can't let people see that. So we're desperately trying to control the information that people are getting about us. And that's what the closet represents. All of the elaborate outfits, the things shoved in the back corners, the things that we don't want people to see, the expectations that have been placed upon our lives. And there's a result of that. What happens is that we believe we have to shrink and make ourselves small in order to fit. Or even worse yet, some of us are flexing and trying to make ourselves bigger than we really are. And we're out there flexing and making moves. And all of that, again, is just cover up, cover up. We're naked and we know it. And yet we're doing everything we can to hide because I can't let God see me. I can't let people see me. And I can't even see me. Which leads to the game of blame. Because if I blame you, then I don't have to look at myself. If I blame that person, if I blame God, then that's on him and it's not on me. And we get into this blame game and the blame game is rooted in lack and separation. It's rooted in that limited, fearful mode of operating as human beings. Friends, do you wanna know what all the overwork is? What all the busy talk is, the busy language? Do you wanna know what all the, the anger is about and the exercise and the makeup and the inability to say no? Because if you don't do it, who else is gonna do it? So you find yourself driving all over around town to help this one person because you can't say no. Do you wanna know what all of that is about? Those are fig leaves, those are cover-ups. Elaborate outfits. We've become masters of hiding and concealing and bringing things down. We're like walking cover bands at best. 
out there mimicking. It's what Quincy and I refer to as the art of clowning. Exaggerated versions of ourselves that we're throwing out into the world to prove that we matter and that I simply can't be good enough just because I'm me. I'm good enough because of these things. Where are you? Why are you hiding? And then the third question, who told you you were naked? Or even further than that, who told you you weren't good enough? Some of you came into this world with loving parents. Some of you came into this world, you were raised by a a single parent. The courageous act of, of raising these little rockets, as I refer to little humans, they're like little rockets, and someday you have to help these, lock, these rockets launch. Good luck with that, by the way. They don't come with manuals. And we're doing our best to raise these rockets. And then some of you were raised in abusive homes where it was very difficult, and there was a lot of pain and trauma. And I understand, but regardless of how you were brought up, whether it was in a good, loving, safe environment or it was a difficult environment, all of us had events that happened to us. We experienced certain events and without fully understanding what those events mean, those interactions with our parents or authority figures or teachers or leaders, we attached meaning to those events. And then those meanings became beliefs that we inserted into our childhood and we've lived out of those events here into our adulthood. And then somewhere along the way, parents, teachers, religious leaders, authority figures, coaches, whoever told us that we're not good enough. Now, my parents never said, Jonathan, you're not good enough. In fact, I think my parents thought I could walk on water. I have not mastered that art yet. I'm practicing. But they thought I was it. But still, even in a loving environment, I picked up language, meaning that I wasn't good enough as a human being. My mom and dad couldn't give me affection and affirmation and attention all the time. They couldn't. They're human beings. There's no way that they could do that. But I remember as a child when you would hear the words, not right now, go play. Or what I heard the other day when I was out shopping with Shannon, a parent saying to two children, you're bugging me, get away from me. Right? You're you're complaining. I can't handle your complaining anymore. This has got to stop. A child doesn't know how to process that. A child doesn't go, hmm, mom seems like she's having a rough day. Maybe she needs to go work some things out. A child interprets that as, oh my God, well, maybe I'm the cause of this. And then a child takes that and internalizes that. And that turns into a meaning and that turns into a belief and that turns into some reality. And it's like, well, now I'm living out of this storyline that I'm not good enough or I'm not capable or I'm incompetent. How else is a child supposed to process these things other than to take it and internalize it? Those repeated moments over and over again where mom was busy or dad was distracted or dad came home grouchy and dad had a bad day at work So he came home grouchy and he took it out on me. And I didn't have the information in my own head to go, well, dad just had a bad day. No, I internalized that, that I'm the problem. And that belief starts to live in our story. And we do everything we can to stay connected to our parents because we don't want to disappoint them. 
And we do everything we can to stay in that line because we're like, I need love, I need attention, I need affirmation, I need this affection. So what do I gotta do to fit? What do I, do, God, what do I gotta do to prove to you that I matter? And it gets into this internal story. And then I ask you the question, man, who told you you weren't good enough? Where are you getting that information? Who told you you weren't important? Where did you pick up those beliefs? You picked them up in your childhood and they've become part of your internal story. And some of us are still living with those core beliefs inside of our bodies, causing us to hide and conceal and withhold and get away from people. And they cause us to judge and to blame everybody else because it can't be partly me. And so the question I ask is how do we go about getting healed of those things? How do we come out of the closet into expansiveness and hope and light? And there's a lot of talk today about affirmations. We need to do affirmations, right? I am statements. And some of you in this room do I am statements. I am beautiful, I am good, I am hopeful. I am God's beloved, great things. Or we do gratitude practices. Now I want you to imagine my fist is the belief I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And then I take the I am statements and I just start piling them on. I'm beautiful, I'm good enough, I'm God's beloved. And I'm grateful and I'm joyful and these are good for our brain. But until we get to that root cause, that thing still lives there disrupting our inner peace and our joy. And so what I think what Jesus wants and what the Spirit wants is to go after these core beliefs and begin to integrate them into the human soul. So you identify it, you name it, you own it. It's been living in your mind for far too long. And then you integrate that into your story and you say, okay, it's time for us to heal. That's a part of me. I no longer live with that narrative. Once in a while, it creeps back in. But until you remove those root beliefs, they're just gonna fester and live. And please remember this, those little beliefs that operate inside the human condition, they love to hide. And they love to convince you that you need them in order to survive. Because when you were a child, you needed them in order to survive. They were coping mechanisms. But as you become an adult, you no longer need those things and they convince you that you do, but you do not. And they're super good at making sure that you ignore them and they hide and they conceal. Again, name it, own it, integrate it. I'm not good enough. Where did that come from? Where did that belief come from? I don't need that anymore. Replace it with something beautiful and good. You see, when children come to the realization that all adults are imperfect, children become adolescents. And when adolescents realize that all adults need forgiveness and they practice forgiveness, those adolescents become adults. And when adults realize that they need to forgive themselves, then they become wise. And what the world needs is wisdom. We got enough information, friends. We got enough clever slogans. What the world needs is more wisdom, inner wisdom, that sage kind of wisdom 
non-reactive, non-overly stressed, but that inner wisdom that comes from the divine that we give back to the world. Colossians chapter three, verses three through four, begins to speak of some kind of inner truth that is so powerful. And I want you to read this and listen. It says, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, by the way, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. What is your life? Your life, when you say yes to Jesus, you go in Christ and your life is literally hidden in Christ. And here's what happens when you hide in Christ there's an expansive you that explodes. You do not shrink, you do not clown, you do not shy away. You do not have to hide and conceal because everything now is open and expansive because you've gotten out of the closet and into Jesus. That hidden language, you're hiding in the wrong things. They're not covering you. Jesus is your covering. In Christ, there exists a real, beautiful you. And when you're in Christ, you get to those core beliefs and you begin to realize, I'm good enough just because I'm me. I'm good enough. I'm connected and I have everything that I need, abundance. And the things that I truly want, everything is right here. I've got everything I need. I wanna read an excerpt from The Velveteen Rabbit for you. Are you ready for a children's story? What is real? Asked the rabbit one day when they were lying side by side near the nursery fender before Nana came to tidy the room. Does it mean having things that buzz inside of you and a stick out handle? Real isn't how you're made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with you, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? Asked the rabbit. Sometimes, sometimes said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does this happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? No, it doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse you become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you're real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. It will be midnight soon, Cinderella. And when the bells start ringing bit by bit, climbing their way to 12, the dress goes away, the hair comes back down, 
the makeup comes off. The glitz and the glamour and the romance and all the things that you think make life worth living, all of that goes away. And what's left is you. And that's it. The real you. And when you're real, you can't be ugly anymore. Can't be. Get back to your magnificence. Back to who you really are. Loving, joyful, healing presence.